depth. That's it. That's it. Depth. Exactly. It's a tough one. <laughs> Welcome to L&D Plus, where learning is a team sport. I'm Joey, and in each episode, my co-host Tom and I will bring you real stories of collaborative learning from the world's leading companies. Today, we're delighted to welcome Dr. Shanina Saxton, Director of Talent and Culture at Focus Brands, owner of some of the most iconic brands in the food and beverage space. Dr. Saxton brings a lot of expertise in talent development, L&D, innovation, and diversity across commercial brands, healthcare, and even the nuclear power sector. Right now, she's working to bring a greater appetite for innovation, risk-taking, and collaboration within L&D. Fortunately for us, Dr. Sexton is here to tell us how L&D leaders can encourage a culture of failing fast and trying new things to improve the learning experience. Before we jump into the details, Dr. Sexton, how about a few words of introduction? Hi. Hello, everybody. First hey. of all, Tom and Joy, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity and, and allow me to leverage this platform to share some of the amazing work that I think is happening across the L&D space. It's a really exciting time to be in L&D. My industry colleagues and I are looking for opportunities to really embed this notion of failing fast in everything that we do in the talent space. And organizations have an appetite forward. So you mentioned how important it is for L&D leaders to have more of an appetite for risk-taking and failing fast, as you mentioned. Uh, So what exactly does this mean for you um, in practice? How, How does this manifest in different roles? Oh wow, that's that's such a great question, Tom. Um, it look it can look very different, but the first call out uh, I'd like to say it does not occur in those traditional learning settings, right? I think historically we thought that learning is about classroom environments, bringing um, employees in for these uh, what are, are very beneficial <laughs> structured learning programs, but that is not always where failing fast actually happens. Um, <laughs> it may not even happen where employees are doing their normal day to day work. Instead, if you think about the 70-20-10 model to learning, and you know that 70% is all about, okay, how do you learn through experience? What type of experiences do our employees need to have? Um, And it's all about focusing on maybe those new experiences. It could be projects. It could be giving uh, people an opportunity to to do rotational assignments. Um, All of those things that will create, enhance those capabilities that are needed to drive performance. And really the notion of failing fast really starts or it can start during onboarding when you bring people into the organization and really asking, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're most interested in doing? What is it that you're most interested in learning? And so giving them those experiences early on. So it may be, okay, yes, a part of what you're going to do is you're going to be a part of the HR team, right? But here's this opportunity where we're we're bringing in... um, we're launching a new digital platform. It will be great from someone from the HR team to to be on that project team and lend some expertise or or kind of learn about what digital transformation means for the organization. Mm. And so those are those type of opportunities that allow for failing fast. Yes, it's not that traditional work I would typically do in HR. It's about understanding how the business is evolving and then being able to maybe apply some of my expertise, but really learning a different part of the business and allowing um, our employees to think differently as we saw business problems. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that is brilliant. And a lot of companies talk about like innovation. We like to push the envelope and take risks, but without this safety net of saying we're okay to fail and mm -hmm. we encourage you to fail fast, people usually don't want to like put themselves out there and like risk their they're like being fired being criticized mm -hmm. so like saying that okay we want you to fail fast is really encouraging them to actually do it and so how are you actually developing this appetite are there actual things that you are implementing within your your role and your organization to to make it more of a thing on a on a day-to-day -day for the team Absolutely. If we adopt a mindset that says we're going to we're going to encourage you to do things you've never done before, we're going to provide you coaching and feedback in a safe space, and we really want to adopt in our organization a continuous cycle of learning. Right. So you know it's kind of grounded there. Really, before you even get to a place where you can say we are organization that encourages failing fast, we have to think about is the organization um, culturally receptive to making this shift? Are we ready to deconstruct some of the processes, uh, um, even maybe some of the uh, approaches that we've taken from a performance perspective? Just like you mentioned, you know, you're not this Failing does not necessarily impact your performance because really we're looking at the outcomes and the results. So what did you learn from that opportunity is what's going to be really important. And I would say also, so it really starts with making sure the organization from a cultural perspective is ready to make that shift. Understanding that there's power and privilege dynamics in the organization. And so again, and as I mentioned, it's about deconstructing those systems where we operate so that um, we can learn in this new way. How do you talk about performance, right? How do you provide coaching and feedback? How do we define learning? I think is even more important. And then leaders embodying those behaviors where they're also challenging the status quo and they're taking risks because if the leadership team says, yes, we have not, we have not made a shift like this before to do business the way that we're going to do to be able to keep pace with the competition, so that's telling our employees that as an organization, we're going to be taking risk and we're going to learn mm. from them. Um, yeah. And then also creating an environment where we're talking about what those learnings are, not only at the employee level, but at the leader level as well. Um, so Dr. Sexton, so alongside that appetite for risk that you've described, um, you know, one of the things you mentioned there is building greater collaboration between teams and a closer understanding of how each team is contributing to broader business goals. Um, you know, how do, exactly does that work for you uh, in practice, both in your current and your previous roles? How are you building that kind of collaboration? Uh, one of the ways that we're building that collaboration and really we're, we're you know, we're, we're starting when people join the organization, right? You want to make sure that people are connected. They understand not only their role, not only their team, but the broader organization, right? So, and we kind of kick that off when we onboard our new associates. So that's where uh -huh. people begin to um they begin to make impact and they begin to see and experience uh, the organization's stance on learning, right? So it's important that you're learning your role, you're meeting your peers, you're understanding the priorities of your team, of the, but more broadly across the function. So one of the things we've done is created um, a cohort, an onboarding cohort. So um, that allows new team members to meet 
other uh, other members of the organization who are new. But um, and we're kind of moving beyond just that, you know, that kind of exposure piece, that social networking piece, but making sure that people start to understand, okay, here are the, all the spaces where we play, if you will, as an organization, as a business. Here's the work. Here's the history. Here's why we're organized this way. And here's how my work connects to it. Um, and, you know, really doing that early on and so that our employees know that learning is uh, learning other parts of the business critical to your success. And it gives you an opportunity to make that connection between the work that you're doing and other pieces of the work in the organization. And you may not have all the answers. You may not be able to roadmap it out. But again, that's where you get to fail fast because you're going to think about things that we could do. You got to put it into practice. We're creating a culture of feedback and coaching from a performance management perspective. You're getting that ongoing feedback and coaching to know, okay, maybe here's where to pivot. Maybe think about doing some things differently. What did you learn? Where can you use that learning again? Because one of the things I'd point out about failing fast too is whatever that learning is, it can probably be applied somewhere else, right? Maybe this approach, maybe the way that we... Um, focus on this launch. Maybe it didn't work for this project, but it doesn't mean it won't work for the for others. And so having those conversations as well, right? Saying a failure here or something that maybe did not uh, achieve the desired results, it doesn't mean it won't work in a different place. Yeah, I can't agree more with, with that kind of mindset and just collaborative learning basically uh, among different team members but how are these conversations and collaborations happening because you mentioned it starts from the onboarding very early on the employee experience um, and then after that like are there more structured moments uh, for these to happen or it's more like you know just a in the flow of work um, more like organic and spontaneous yeah, so I think it can be, I've seen it where it's been a combination of both um, in some of my past work. I've seen it work um, where it's very structured. So for example, when I worked in the nuclear industry, anytime we had a major project, right, we made sure that we had uh, what we referred to as the plus delta meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that meeting, it was all about, let's talk about what went well, with this project, with with this outage, with bringing in this extra, this huge, massive piece of equipment or whatever the initiative was, what went well? What are some of the things that didn't go well? And what did we learn from it? So in that space, it was very structured. It was a part of kind of our project cadence, if you will, to make sure you have those conversations and also bring in outside perspectives, right? So you're not only getting that perspective from the, the work teams at the site, you might be bringing in perspectives from other work teams who um, who have done similar projects for other 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 um other sites. You're getting feedback from maybe someone at corporate. You're getting feedback from the HR team who may be sitting in on those meetings so they can even talk about team dynamics and how the team is actually working together. So it was very structured in that regard. Um, in other in other spaces, I've seen where it's just been a bit more organic. 
Let's talk about where there's some opportunities to learn, where there are opportunities to um, maybe uh, do some things differently. We can accomplish so much more when we're communicating and when we're working together versus when we're just thinking about this project in our silos. Um, and other organizations I've been in, particularly in healthcare, one of the things that we we did, and it was a part of our kind of development structure, we had major initiatives that we were working on, and our goal was to make sure it was a cross-functional team from various parts of the organization, um, from various op- from each of the operating units, particularly if it was an enterprise-wide initiative. And also, we wanted to make sure that we brought in people who needed these experiences. So looking at their individual development plan based upon what they needed to be ready for that next level role. And so we identified these projects that would give them that. So it's been it's been a mix of both structured, very intentional, mm-hmm. and then also creating a space that allows collaboration to organically happen. And then, so speaking of uh, you know of things happening or- organically, um, one of the things I, the topics that I've, I've heard you speak about is the importance of using L and D to drive a more nimble and adaptive leadership. And I think over the last few years, especially, this has been more critical than ever for organizations. Mm-hmm. How does this work for you uh, at the moment, both at, at Focus Brands, but also in your previous roles as well? Being nimble and, and an adaptive leadership is really, I think, if you really look at it and look at what it really means, I think it's grounded in learning from mistakes or failing fast. Um, even if you look at some research, so Bert Burson did some research around adaptive learning mm. organizations. And, yeah. you know, the research showed that those companies outperform other organizations and both business and talent outcomes. And that's what we want to be able to do, right? I believe all organizations from a business and a talent perspective, they want to, to be industry leaders. And I would say one of the things that we've done in, in in my current organization is, you know, we've taken a new approach to performance management, right? So we've looked at how it's really important to, you know, go through the goal setting process and provide feedback um, and, and complete urine reviews. But what's happening in between that time, you know, really having that mindset that, we need to ensure that there's ongoing coaching and feedback that is in, in employees or in managers understand that our approach, it is um, it's flexible enough that we can make, a, we can adapt based upon priorities and changes in the business because we set a goal in March. It doesn't necessarily mean that will be the goal that performance will be measured against at the end of the year because priorities might have shifted in the organization. And I encourage others in this space to think about it is to reframe the learning solutions that the organization, um, the organization rolls out. So you want to make sure, I would say that is, you know, ask the question, are our learning systems and our approach um, adaptive in, in fluid learning ecosystems um, that um, that allow for teams to think differently and set strategies by thinking with the end in mind and seeking out insights from multiple sources? If we're really focused on adaptive learning, then how are we creating a space or that will allow um, quick decision making and be in allow for, you know, iterating and making changes quickly because the 
uh, the business, right? Everything that's happening outside the organization that influences what we're doing is evolving and it's evolving quickly. For example, one of the things that happened at Focus Brands, we realized that we needed to make some adjustments to our operating model so that it was more scalable. And so if we need to make those changes to our operating model, guess what? We probably need to do the same for our learning solutions. So I would just, you know, kind of round that out with saying that if we're going to make sure that we're creating adaptive learning organizations, then we have to be business-centric and not L&D-centric. And I know my L&D practitioners, they're like, time out, wait a minute, Shanina, we did not sign up for that at all. But it's, (laughs) it's absolutely okay to say, you know what, we're going to understand the business and we have an L&D expertise that we can bring to us to solve solutions. And that's what it's really about. So it's really, you know, a shift that allows us to understand the business at a deeper, richer level and just being business centric and having in our back pocket some of those L&D solutions. Yeah, definitely. It aligns really uh, very well with what our CLO, David James, mm-hmm. is sharing as well to the L&D industry uh, for, for a few years now about how, like if we keep talking about L&D metrics and L&D goals and outcomes, we're never going to get to that C-level where the C-suite is it's interested and involved in these conversations because they don't care about engagement metrics. They don't care about attendance rates. What they want is to know that we have the talent, um, you know, we're a growing metrics and that, you know, the the organization as a whole is adapted enough to handle all the uncertainty and challenges that this very you know fast changing world is throwing at us every day absolutely there is this growing movement within lnd to really embrace this idea of being a strategic business partner almost like an internal lnd like consulting role within an organization and i guess for for those um lnd teams and lnd individuals that you mentioned who might be maybe a little, a little bit hesitant about that and maybe intimidated by that idea what are some of the sort of foundational or the basic things that they can do to try and move towards that role in a way that isn't, you know, flipping a switch overnight because it is such a big change for a lot of people? Absolutely. I would say one of the ways to be that learning business partner is to learn the business. Um, (laughs) Spend some time with the leaders in the business and start to really – Develop the business acumen, understand, okay, what are those key drivers for success for the business? And ask the leaders that you're supporting, right? Okay, what's important to you? What keeps you up at night? What are those things that are going to be most critical to the success for your function, to the business um, in the next 12, 18 months? They're going to tell you several things and none of it probably is going to be around learning <laughs> learning and development right and so then my my advice would be okay hear what your leaders are telling you then go back and peel those layers back and uncover that okay understand okay what's the impact on our business what's happening outside what's happening in the in the industry right to address these challenges um and maybe even do some benchmarking right so maybe leverage some of your lnd colleagues and ask you know how are you approaching this right how are you supporting your business leaders and addressing these challenges so you know almost have like a community of practice the lnd community of practice but not focusing on lnd but focusing yeah. on business challenges 
and then thinking about how do we how do we address it right how do we engage in these conversations and and so i think if you if we ask because i say we and not you because i need to do more of this as well but asking my leaders what's what's really important what's what's important to you what's the challenge that you're having and then educating myself on that, um, both internally to understand what's the impact on the business, but then understanding what's the more broader impact, right, in the industry, across industries. And then start to think about, well, maybe this is how we can solve for this, right, in L&D. If, you know, the business is expanding, right, the business is going to expand its global footprint, then think about what capabilities do we need, right, to yeah. be able to yeah. do that. And how we're going to develop those those capabilities? Where are we going to do that with the seventy twenty model? This idea of you know ramping up your own personal like the depth of your business understanding whenever you you're you either switch roles or you you join a new L and D team. I mean, personally for you, given your range of experience in you know the nuclear sector and healthcare and food and beverage, you must have had quite a few times where that has been a reasonably daunting process of getting to know the business whenever you you switch into a new role um i wonder if you yeah just maybe like to tell us how that's been for you all of my experiences have been um most of the time in any of my career changes i've been going to a new industry and (laughs) i had to build some credibility fast and um what was most helpful for me was um really coming in and spending time with the leaders um, mm. attending their team meetings, attending their offsite meetings, um, and really starting to understand, okay, again, it goes back to what I said, what are those things that are important to you? What are those things that you're working on? When I would uh, kind of map out my one-to-ones for my first 90 days, right? So that's one of the things that I would say is important too, particularly when you're shifting industries and moving into a new role, even if it's an internal move, you know, map out what your first 90 days will look like and have some of those strategic one-to-one meetings um, so that you're getting to know the business, you're getting to know your colleagues and asking those questions, you know, what's the, you know, what's the strategy for your function? Um, what are some of the things that have worked well? What are some of the things that have not worked well? Asking that question Right. Also helps you approach it with a learning mindset. I am yeah. not I'm not shy about saying, hey, I don't know this industry intimately mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so making those connections. Right. So I can do some benchmarking because there's so much power in benchmarking, um, looking at what others in the industry have done or even looking at what some of it could be looking outside of the industry, but looking at those organizations that are you know, have a really great learning framework in place, making those connections and talking mm. to those individuals. I would say that has served me well, making connections out in the yeah. industry. It has, it would particularly in some of those industries that are a little tougher to understand. Healthcare mm. is difficult to understand. Nuclear, oh man, <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult to, to really understand that industry. It's very complex. Um, yeah. And so making those industry connections and inserting myself into some of those industry organizations. So I had mm-hmm. that peer network. It was really helpful. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why you're in our L&D collective, making connections with other L&Ds. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not shy at all about saying, hey, you know, I haven't done this before. The organization hasn't done this before. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. What do you think may work mm-hmm. well? And being transparent. And what this tells us is also that although, like, obviously in each industry there is subject matter expertise, there are things that you need to learn for years and years. But then, you know, the the applying learning to solve business problems framework can actually be transferred and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of universal in a way. Like, you know, you talk to the business leaders, they tell you what their problem is, and then you apply a learning framework to solve that. And making sure that everybody is, you know, growing up, skilling in the right, right mindset. So, mm-hmm. um, and from your background, it it's obviously like just a proof point of how you can transfer that from one industry to another. Um, one thing I'd really love to know a little bit more about is in your current role at Focus Brands, how are you working to build even more of an appetite for this kind of risk taking and innovation within L and D, and I guess within the the broader business uh, more generally. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I that I, I have been doing to really build this appetite is to have the conversation with our leaders to understand what are the capabilities that we need, right, to take the business forward. Maybe about six weeks ago, I started having conversations with um, with some of our leaders, and you know, the question was, what do we need? What do our from a talent perspective, what are those opportunities that we need to make sure our our talent has available now so that they are ready for next level roles so we can really focus on their growth? What does that look like? What are those opportunities to, you know, build capabilities? Is it around, it could be something around, you know, leading change. Do we, is that a a capability that we need? Absolutely need it. Do we have it? No. So we need to build that muscle, right? Um, And so that's just one of the ways that I've been doing it. I've been speaking to our leaders and just understanding what do you believe um, is going to be really important for our employees, particularly those who we know are high potential talent. We're looking to prepare them for next level roles. What is it that they need and how have you seen this work well, maybe in some of your previous experiences? Um, And so that we can think about what those opportunities are and build out solutions for that. And will it all be learning programs? Absolutely not. Some of it will be what we've talked about earlier, giving them those opportunities, right? So when we're standing up project teams to work on transformation, if you will, who do we need to bring on those teams? Who's missing, but who should be on this team based upon what we know they need in terms of development? So I that has been really helpful to make sure that I have a good understanding of what that appetite is. And um, then, of course, then also just embedding some, you know, some of the more traditional learning programs into the, the ecosystem as well, making sure that they're 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 important from a foundational perspective. So having that balanced approach to learning. So the foundational classic stuff in the, the new cool stuff. Exactly. At the same time. <laughs> uh, t- tying back to the theme of our podcast, because we call our call the podcast L&D Plus, and it's usually L&D Plus, like another business partner within the organization that goes hand in hand in, in leading some leading initiatives. And would you say that uh, through this episode, what I've got is, um, it's probably safe to say it should be called like L&D Plus business leaders or C-level executives because, you know, it seems to be like the yeah. first people you talk to to understand the business, understand the problems, and then develop a customized plan for, for the organization, what it needs. 
I absolutely agree. I think it's going to, I think that would be a, a great pivot or shift uh, because I think for this work to be impactful and for, as Tom mentioned, for L&D to really be business partners, it's important to have those relationships, right? And so I think if we were to, you know, kind of set the tone that way, I think also from uh, for our L&D practitioners who are still looking at, okay, how do I make this shift professionally? How do I start to engage in these conversations? I think it'll be so impactful to just understand here's the power of these relationships here are the type of solutions that you can bring to your organization when you're working in tandem you know you're working with your business leaders thanks so much to dr saxon for joining us for listeners who wish to connect with dr saxon please join the lnd collective our free community where lnd leaders come together to share knowledge build relationships and experience collaborative learning in action. And if you're looking for more great collaborative learning stories, be sure to subscribe to LND Plus wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our show notes for more LND resources from 360 Learning. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.